1: Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to
2: 830
0: 30 a.m. Only double. your Good morning. Oh,
3: morning. morning. In oh, sync. Three I at the same nice. time. <laughs> we're all so keen. I love this. I love this energy. I think we all need a bit of this energy. I think coming into this week, uh, we're all a bit flat. Um, but every time we start the show, I feel like there's a little, a little spark. The studio's got something in it. There's some magic here. Yeah. Also, uh, heating. You know? Yeah, it's very
0: warm. I don't even know if it's heated. I think it's just well insulated. Insulation, people. It's the way of the future.
3: Yeah, oh. and now that's actually something that uh, people building properties have to have to do. You yeah. have to have insulated properties. But
0: it's uh, what day is it? The fifth of August. Wow, the fifth of August. It's seven o. 1 or maybe just go on 7. We have 2 clocks and 701. 1. Of seven, 701, great. It's 701. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR. Um yeah, and yes. you're with Priya, Malika and Rosie.
3: Yeah, it's great to be with you this week and as usual we have a pretty packed show. Um so yeah, maybe we'll just jump into what we've got on for today. Um so after our news headlines, we're gonna hear a pre record where Viv Malo from the Black Block on Three C R caught up with Palawa artist Thelma Beaton on last Friday's episode to talk about the power of art and sisterhood in an exhibition that's currently showing at the Cunahan Gallery in Brunswick. Banya Banya Norta, which means sister in First Nations languages of Tongerung and Palawakani, respectively, uh, represents the unique friendship between artists Thelma and Tongerung and Boonwurrung woman Stacey, both of whom are participants in the Torches Indigenous Arts in Prisons and Community Programme
0: amazing and then we're speaking with cam walker campaigns coordinator at friends of the earth melbourne um, and cam will be speaking with us about their new report released this week titled an icon at risk current and emerging threats to victorian high country which details environmental risks to the victorian alps including the potential loss of snow gum forests
4: we will then be speaking to professor sandy sullivan um sorry sandy o'sullivan a Rogery transgender non-binary researcher in Indigenous Studies at Macquarie University. um, They will take us through some of the problems of the 2021 Australian Census with respect to gender and sexuality. Sandy is a 2020-2024 ARC Future Fellow with a project titled Saving Lives, mapping the influence of Indigenous LGBTQI+, creative artists who explore the unique contribution and influence of queer artists to understand how modelling complex identities contributes to the well being of all First Nations
3: peoples. And then last up uh, Marie Clark is going to join us. And Marie Clark is a Yorta Yorta, Wamba Wamba, Muddy Muddy, and Boon Wurrung woman, and a well-respected figure of the Southeastern Australian Aboriginal community for her work supporting Aboriginal artists and for her own successful career as a visual artist in the mainstream art scene. And in her practice, she works to revive elements of Aboriginal culture that were lost in the period of colonization and uses art as a tool to heal. And Marie is joining us to discuss the exhibition Wrapped in Culture, which opens tomorrow, Friday the 6th. Of August at Footscray Community Arts Centre and it's an amazing uh, collaboration between First Nations Canadian and Australian artists.
0: Yeah and Marie Clark also has an incredible huge survey show at NGB at Fed Square so hopefully we can squeeze a question in about that too.
3: Yeah I reckon you know from our last week conversation um, with uh, was Anna Piper Scott yeah. about the importance of supporting the arts and the lack of yeah lack of government support for the arts I reckon when we can get out and see shows and support artists um definitely do it while you can absolutely so should we go into some headlines yeah, yeah. um so uh oh I actually I can kick us off I wasn't ready so <laughs> I can we kick ahead?
0: us off so um uh first up Um, A Senate inquiry on, uh, I believe it was Monday, looking into the um, fracking in the Northern Territory, so the Betaloo Basin's traditional owners are condemning that fracking, and especially um, what was heard in that Senate inquiry was $21 million in grants um, given by the federal government to companies um, which has been opposed by traditional owners um, in the Betaloo Basin. And obviously this is all part of the Morrison government's uh, so-called Gas-led recovery for stimulating the economy following the pandemic. So yeah, they've um, handed out 21 million in grants to Empire Energy, um, which is a firm that has been has had links as well to the Liberal Party, according to the Guardian Australia. Um, And Seed Mob have been doing a lot of work around this, supporting uh, traditional owners in the Northern Territory over the last few years in opposition to this fracking. Um, And in their uh, media release, they have a quote here from the um, Senate inquiry from a traditional owner, Joni Wilson, a proud Yan Yua and Garawa woman. And this is a quote from her. Country is important to me because it's my life. It is a part of my body and my soul and my spirit. It provides food, medicine, water and healing. It's important for my cultural connection to my land and my language and my identity of who I am. Country is important to me because of, I live off the land like my ancestors did and my responsibility as a protector for country is to protect it for the next generation to come. And so traditional owners are concerned that these... Um, uh, these grants to gas companies will cause poisoning in their water. They're worried about the drilling of their land. Um, and they are also really angry about the lack of consultation, the lack of um, engagement from these companies who they've, who they've invited onto their land to discuss these projects. And they've had, you know, no no response or just kind of have been ignored um, so, yeah, if you do want to support Seedmob and find out more about their their campaign supporting traditional owners, you can go to Seedmob.com.au uh, and um, both make a donation, I believe. They also have some petitions to sign. And hopefully as well next week we'll be speaking to Millie or Nicholas from Seedmob too. Yeah, yeah. fantastic.
4: Um, and in other news, local, national... Local and national calls to mobiles will now be free from all Telstra pay phones. So what that means is if yeah, you see one of those Telstra pay phones out on the street, you are now able to make a free call. Um, I believe that Telstra has said that during COVID, they've seen that the spotlight has really shone on isolation. And the reality is that a proportion of Australians suffer from social isolation every day of their lives and in an effort to kind of support that um, those people they've kind of made all phone calls from those Telstra phones free um, which is kind of exciting news as well Um, and in other kind of related news with in relation to phone calls um lifeline put out a media release earlier this week and they shared that as of monday um 3,345 callers sought support from lifeline australia on monday this week which is the highest volume of calls in the organization's 58 years um history and the numbers show that australians aren't suffering in silence through the isolation anxiety and uncertainty of the pandemic um lifeline Australia chairman John Brogdon said. Um, They acknowledge that it's been a really tough time for Australians and it's awesome that people are reaching out and accessing support through um, great organisations such as Lifeline. So I guess a shout out to all Lifeline volunteers and uh, um, workers and volunteers at other national helplines like eHeadspace, Suicide Callback Service, um, Kids Helpline, 1-800-RESPECT. They are doing incredible work every day of the week um, and yeah i think it's really telling that a lot of australians are reaching up for support and needing it during this time
3: yeah definitely and um i think it was a really good point made by um a rahu member um renting and housing union in victoria member about uh this increased volume of calls and they suggested you know maybe um Maybe the fact that this didn't happen to such a degree in Victoria's lockdown is potentially because there was a uh, massive increase to job, uh, job seeker above the poverty line. Mm. And we have to remember always that poverty and deprivation, which is an artificial and enforced condition in this country, considering the uh, the easy ability to raise um, to raise everybody's income above the poverty line, as we saw last year, Um is something that seriously impacts people's mental health. So always bearing in mind that a lot of, um, a lot of the pressure from uh, around mental health stuff is also absolutely linked into our material conditions as well.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so speaking of material conditions and mental health, uh, we're really wow, segue seamlessly linking <laughs> this in. Um, I just wanted to amplify uh, the Health and Community Services, uh, or HACSU's, uh, call to the Victorian government. So this is the Victorian mental health workforce, and they took an action, a stop work action yesterday on the steps of Parliament House um, after receiving an offer which would leave mental health workers' wages trailing behind other public health workers. And so they're really looking for a fair agreement um, and fair working conditions, because, of course, um, you know, they've said me- that our mental health system is at a breaking point, but they are overworked, short-staffed, facing safety issues, um, and basically um, haven't had pay rises in uh, in two years. And so they've been, you know, picking up all of this extra work, doing so much for the community during the pandemic. Um, people have been under immense duress, and these are the people that are supporting all of us. Um, and, so they've written to Minister Merlino um, to basically highlight these issues, but these conversations have been ongoing. And, um, yeah, we just want to uh, add our support to Victoria's mental health workforce and HACSU's calls for change, for a new agreement, for a fair deal for mental health clinicians and workers in Victoria.
4: And I think it's especially important because the mental health system has been at breaking point for many, many years. And so um, hopefully yeah, we can work together to amplify their voices to get something through. Um, and lastly, just like a special shout out to um, Australian athlete Peter Bowl, who competed in the men's 800 metres um, at the Olympic Games last night. And he's the first, I believe, Australian in like over 50 years to reach the finals for that event. And whilst he was like leading for like a strong portion of the event, um, he ultimately placed fourth. But, yeah, just special shout out to him for doing so excellently in representing.
3: Fourth is absolutely huge. I mean, yeah. this is fourth at the Olympics. Yeah. That's no joke. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, there was one final thing, sorry, that I just wanted to raise, which is um, for people to keep up to date around the news um around new uh, new regulations on charities and the sort of impact that this is going to have on the approximately 56,000 registered charities in Australia. So these are new regulations that were recently announced by the federal coalition government. And it's basically widened the scope for the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission to investigate and deregister a charity on the basis of um, particular kinds of advocacy and activist work. So, mm-hmm. The conditions for registering as a charity is an organisation proving that all of the purposes of the organisation are charitable, um, and now this is basically um, tightening the advocacy activities of charitable or, charitable organisations and um, raising concerns around the ability for charity organisations to engage in protest or support protest actions. And so um, this is uh, news from the Melbourne Activist Legal Centre. And they put out um, a piece basically detailing some of the issues and concerns with it on the 4th of August. So you can look up Melbourne Activist Legal Support um, and head to their website, read about it and find out more information about it, because I feel like this will be relevant to a lot of our listeners.
2: A message from Victoria's community
3: sector.
1: I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID.
3: To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us.
2: I really want to see my mum.
3: I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask
0: on.
2: To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come
3: and watch me play.
0: I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again.
3: So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated.
2: Let's get back to the good things.
3: I ask you to get vaccinated.
2: For all of us. Please
6: get vaccinated.
2: A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the voice of voice West Papua. Papua. Tuesday, six thirty until seven thirty p.m. News and music from West Papua. <laughs>
3: You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM and it is just gone 7.15 in the morning. We're now going to go to a replay of an interview uh, where Viv Melo caught up with Palawa artist Thelma Beaton on last Friday's episode of 3CR's The Black Block to talk about the power of art and sisterhood and an exhibition called Bunya Bunya Norta that is currently showing at the Cunahan Gallery in Brunswick.
5: We have on the line... A young woman named Thelma Beaton, a Palawa woman who's also an artist and has an upcoming exhibition at the Coonahan Gallery in Brunswick, named Bunya Bunya Naunta. Hi, Thelma, are you there? Yeah, how you going? Pretty good. How do I go with the intro there? Is that a good description? Yeah, okay. that's fine. <laughs> So is this your this is an exhibition coming up? I'm looking at your work online here. It is beautiful it's so colorful and i lo- i Thank just, you. I really love there's lots of emus yeah um emu is my totem so um yeah, that's why I painted all the time okay so how tell us a bit about art and what what that's done for you and meant for you in your life um art
7: has um let me be creative and um like um it helps with my anxiety and um you know like it's, it it's just good to to keep busy and doing something you know that's good and rewarding and um yeah like it means the world to me like my art so um everything i do is is um you know personal stories or experiences that i've been through um yeah which i think when you can use things that come from your heart you know um it, it shows in your artwork you know so um yeah
5: yeah absolutely and now that the exhibition it's not just you it's another woman no no it's, with it's Stacey. Like just the girl
7: um yes. Stacy yeah so, um, we, um, our mums were friends when we were young, so Stacey's five years older than me, I'm 35, yeah. um, and, um, yeah, when, uh, we were in prison together, we formed a very close friendship, and we call each other sisters, and we do daily phone calls, and, um, you know, we always check in with each other, and, um... You know, we're we're there for each other every step of the way. You know, and yeah, we got the opportunity to do this exhibition, so we jumped straight on it. And um, yeah, I didn't, I can't believe how quick the days like come. It's tomorrow it starts, so I can't believe it. Yeah.
5: Wow. So how how many how many artworks is? Um, I've got three, six,
7: plus six. 12. I've got 12, I think about 12 artworks. And I've got a, um, a cork board, which um, resembles um, in our prison cell, we had a cork board where we could put our photos or letters, reminders, whatever, um, up on the notice board. So, um, yeah, we just decorate it like how we would if as if we were still in prison or we yeah. are in prison. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's just like, just so people get their vibe of you know things that are special to us and um, you know connect with us and help us along our journey yeah
5: the um the girls might be listening today. you can do a share out, potentially I think sometimes yeah G'day see.
7: girls yeah. at um, dpsd <laughs> um yeah I hope you are all proud of me and um you know I bet there would have been a lot of a lot of girls that like, I didn't even think that I could make it as far as what I have, like, I wasn't even dreaming about making it this far, like, I've just, all I've done is just, for myself, I work at my own pace, and, you know, just paint as much as I can, because it's, it's just like, I don't know, like, whenever I've got problems, if I just go and paint, I'm, I'm getting my stories out there and making money, and, you know, that's, what it's about is you know like turning over and and getting ahead you know like yeah. i've and bought a car and things like that so um i mean it's not a flash car but it gets me around you know and i can support myself But like you know okay. before i went to jail I, I was um you know at a pretty low point and you know i wasn't looking after myself and i was run down to the ground and you
5: know, mentally unwell and not medicated. And, yeah, so my art just got me on the right track, you know. That's yeah. really inspiring, Thelma. It yeah. It really is. Well done. Yeah, come on, you. Can just you. Keep, keep going. I want to come up and meet you and, and see the exhibition because we can do that, right? In, yeah, of It's is. opening, so it's COVID yeah. safe and all that, but, but we can come and see these amazing... I want to describe a bit more to people because they're... You can't see what we're talking about, but they're quite large, aren't they, these paintings? Yeah, the paintings on exhibition, um, yeah, they're quite large. And they're featuring Um, these beautiful coloured emus and and just different stories depicted in each one, yeah? Yeah, different stories in each one. Um, There's three stories um, from
7: my memories of being in prison with um, my sister Stacey. So just um, three little scenes of... um, yeah, what happened while I was in prison. Um, one of them being um, one day we were, like, kicking back on, a, on the oval, in the middle of the oval, and we were just having a laugh. And, um, like, we were laughing so loud, like, we were nearly crying. We were on our backs la- lying down on the grass, and we were cracking up laughing. And these two galards just come roaring over the top of us. And um, they were, like, they must have been laughing as well. And it was like they were, like, imitating us. Yeah. And it was just so funny. Like we just instantly felt connected, or our an- ancestors were watching over us. Like even though we were we were in prison, and you know for for doing wrong in community, like we're in the middle of the prison and the on the oval, and you know our ancestors were just letting us know that everything's okay, and you know it's good that we're having a laugh, and you know like it's beautiful yeah so I
5: love seeing those things yeah too.
7: beautiful yeah and then um I've got another painting um which is a strong one for me it's about um like mental health um yeah because I you know I, I was quite unwell and i I feel really good at the moment I still have my days but um you know I just try and be as positive as I can and and stick to the my medications you know like
5: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. You know, I have, I I paint also just not, not professionally, not in exhibitions, but just to, it, sometimes you need, you've got to focus your mind somewhere and really, because when I'm painting, I I forget about the things that may be troubling you. Yeah. I, I hear art as, as therapy and as a way. Yeah. Well, like, there's been times when, like,
7: I've had, like, a really, you know, bad argument with, with someone and five minutes later I'm painting, you know what I mean? Like, so like my ner- my nerves and everything when I paint just go away. Like I can be so angry while I'm painting, but I'm painting excellent. You know what I mean? Like my, my paint, my paint, are like right on ball, you know? So I don't know how I do it, but yeah, I've just learned to to um, put put everything aside and just, concentrate on painting and i've just worked out a good way to like it's like um a good system that works for me you know what i mean so and yeah yeah,
5: stick with it if it's working absolutely yeah it is
7: and like i work at my own pace like you know like i do it because i love it i do it because like i want to do it you know i want to get memories out there you know because we don't live forever but you know, your paintings may live on for however long, you know, and it, it depends on how it's, they're looked after. But you know, like the story, um, you know, might touch someone's heart in in a way where they can relate to it, and um, you know, like
5: yeah, yeah, I mean, like yeah, speak it's, to it's me, rewarding, I absolutely yeah. do yeah. And we'll just remind people it starts literally tomorrow, Saturday the thirty first. Yes! Wow, I'm so excited. Wow, congratulations! Oh, so,
7: thank you. I'm so excited. Like I need a little um party popper. <laughs>
5: well, the, yeah, uh, I'm You so speak. Excited. You're speaking tomorrow at um two p.m. Yep. And this is at the. Tell me if I'm pronouncing this right. The Cooney Cooneyhan. Cooneyhan Art Gallery. Cooney. Okay. Yep. At Brunswick Town Hall, two hundred and yep. which is two hundred and thirty-three Sydney Road, Brunswick. Yep. So yep, that's, that's open right. tomorrow, and then um Monday to Saturday until the 5th of September from um 11 to 5 and oh, Sunday yeah. as well 1 to 5
7: Yeah well um you know like aboriginal art just always interesting to look at and um you know when you paint from your culture and you know it's your family your memories your your life you know it it's definitely something worth coming down and checking out that's for sure like you know
5: Definitely.
7: Yeah, I'll see I'm
5: you sure in everyone will, will will really love my colourful artwork. Yeah. So, how about support? Now, I just wanted to ask you about, because obviously you would supported, had great support in when you're in Dame Phyllis. Yep. But you know, when you come out, support may not be there. But for you, like, how did you? How did that happen? Who who supported you? So, How did you
7: get that? Um, a bit, yeah. I was mucking up a bit and was was wasn't medicated and um I was just like I was in another world, like you know obviously I had a, a a habit that just um was uncontrollable and yeah I ended up in prison and then when I was in prison I was I like because I was so unwell they um I had like um, they put me in the mental health part and then they give you, um, like, support in there. So they've got, like, um, like um, social workers that come in and engage with you in prison and, you know, try and meet your needs as far as a person, like, you know, try and, um, like, get you cancelling or try and get you, um, you know, try and find you the right medication or, like, yeah. you know, try and get you in contact with your family, maybe that's like that might that was something that was wrong with me as well. I wasn't in contact with my family, so I was running a bit hectic and um you know, I just so was it didn't the torch? really have a purpose. Was the
5: torch able to like help you with supplies, art supplies and get you back into the realm of Yeah, expressing so yourself like, that way?
7: Yeah, they supply all the um artwork and yep. and paints and um paintbrushes um, in prison and out of prison. So when you get out of prison, you just give them a call and just say, hey, I'm interested in doing some um, art, you know, can you team me up with a starter pack? And they'll get your address and then they'll send you out a starter pack and then you just paint whatever comes to your mind, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, they'll let you know what they think about it, you know. If, if they'll encourage you to, like, Something or yep. you know if, if something's like a flavour of the month or something they might give you a tip and
6: like
5: a
7: mentor on how to do that, that and yeah like there's lots of support so
1: yeah
7: you know I just engage with my support workers and like my arts officer at the torch which has been Tasha Paul and Tracy yeah
5: yeah well done congratulations I I'm, I'm really going to try and get up there for the opening I'm really excited for you and I want to see some of this beautiful art.
7: Yeah, yeah, I'd love you to come and check
5: it out. Yeah, I'm sure you won't be disappointed. <laughs> oh, dearly. Thanks so much, Selma. Yep. Thank you. Thelma no Batten, Everyone, thanks for um, joining us on Black Block. Um, any last words? Any... Um, or a song? Maybe you got a song you want, if we potentially can play a song. Do you have Black and
7: Yellow by Wes Khalifa?
5: Black and Yellow by Wiz Khalifa. Yep, got it. Yep, yep, maybe that one. All right. I think I've seen this. I've seen some Wiz Khalifa, actually, the last few days. Oh, okay. I have, yeah. Not too bad. All right. Thanks so much, Thelma. Yep. That's all good. No worries. Thank you very much. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Congratulations again. No worries. See you then. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Thelma Beaton. Another reminder at the Brunswick Town Hall. And here's Thelma's request.
2: Uh You know what it is I hit the club, look at the face Hit the pedal once, make the floor shake Sway inside, my engine roaring It's the big boy, you know what I paid for it And I got the pedal to the metal Got you out here, joking game I'm balling out on every level Hear them haters talk, but there's nothing you could tell them Just made a million, got another million on my schedule No love for them, boy, I'm breaking hearts No keys, push the start, yeah Shining week, bro, I'm sipping Cleco and rocking yellow diamonds, so many rocks up in my- crowd underneath them clouds, can't get close to you, and my car look unapproachable, super clean but it's super mean, she wanna ride with them cats, count stacks, get flat, take trips and that's that, real rap, I let her get, she want and she feel that, convertible drop feel, 87 the top pill, that, Uh
5: you don't want it. Black and yellow, that's for Thelma Beaton, the artist who's got an exhibition, runs with Town Hall, and open until the 5th of September.
3: So you're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. It is about 7.32 in the morning, and you just heard an interview with Viv Melo from the Black Block with Palawa artist Thelma Beaton on last Friday's episode of that show to talk about the power of art and sisterhood in uh the Banya Banya Nonta exhibition that is currently showing at the Cunahan Gallery in Brunswick. So um head down to the gallery and uh, check it out. It's... um yeah, it's pretty exciting and uh, is supported by the Torches Indigenous Arts and Prisons and Community Program. And uh, now we're going to go to an interview with Cam Walker, who's Campaigns Coordinator at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. And Cam's speaking with us about Friends of the Earth's new report released this week, which is titled An Icon at Risk, Current and Emerging Threats to the Victorian High Country, which details environmental risks to the Victorian Alps. So, Cam, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. So um, could you start off by giving listeners a bit of an idea about the ecological significance and some of the unique features of the Victorian high country, including the iconic snow gum, which comes up in this report?
8: Yeah, sure. So anyone that has been up into the Victorian mountains will be familiar with snow gums. They're that classic, very beautiful tree that grows as a woodland as you drive up out of the valleys into the higher mountains. And they are at grave threat from climate change as a result of two key things. One is increased fires, so fires more happening more frequently, and also uh, a phenomenon called snow gum dieback.
3: Mm. Yeah, and you've put out this report, An Icon at Risk, Current and Emerging Threats to the Victorian High Country, earlier this week. So what spurred you to pull the report together, and can you discuss some of those threats in more detail?
8: Yeah, sure. So... Over the last year, there's been a Victorian uh, Parliament inquiry into ecosystem decline, and that's been a really important bit of work. And it's heard from people and experts from right right around the state talking about coasts and deserts and and grasslands and forests and the threats that all these ecosystems face. And we felt that it was really important to really shine the light on what's happening in the higher mountain areas because sometimes they don't get... uh, kind of considered from an environmental perspective uh, when we look at threatening processes. So that's why we wanted to um, have a look at the issue and we very quickly found that snow gum woodlands appear to be starting to collapse in localised areas. So what that means is you get a fire, the forest comes back, you get another fire, less of the forest comes back, you might get a third fire and then it just simply doesn't grow back. And so you're, you're finding small pockets in the mountains where now the snow gums aren't growing. So they're kind of reverting or converting into something else that seems to be a grassy kind of shrubby you know, open space. It looks like a wasteland to look at. It's certainly not very pretty, but um, yeah, it, it is apparent that we're starting to lose this particular um, uh, species of tree. And then, of course, you have all the animals that rely on those trees, and then you have the, the moderating influence of, of those trees. For instance, they hold the snow for longer, and then the snow, of course, goes into the rivers, and that is important for communities and ecosystems downstream. So we looked initially at the snow gums, and then we identified the fact that there is this dieback which is caused by a native beetle which appears to be getting worse because of global warming which means more of the beetles survive winter and so they're they're impacting on the trees and then the The report kind of went from there, and then we looked at alpine ash, which is also facing the prospect of ecological collapse and is being logged very heavily outside the national park. Then we also looked at threatened and endangered animal and plant species in the mountains.
3: Yeah, so definitely, I mean, thinking about the sort of holistic collapse of ecosystems here rather than just you know the loss of the trees as important as the trees are but there's a whole lot of factors um, in play Um, and so this report includes a range of recommendations uh, that you've outlined to prevent or ameliorate some of these threats so could you take us through uh, some of the most important uh, recommendations?
8: Yep sure so with the alpine ash which don't cope with fire very well. What tends to happen is with the the ash trees, if you get a big fire through them, The parent trees will be killed and then they rely on the seed that's produced, that's in the soil, that doesn't last very long in there. They're very small seeds. If you get another fire within 20 years, you'll lose that forest entirely. So there is already a government program that aerially seeds these forests that have been impacted and that's really good. So we're saying let's look at that kind of model and let's look at what we need to do with snow guns. So we're calling for the state government to do a rapid ecological assessment of the snow gum communities and to determine whether intervention is required. It's quite clear to us that intervention is required and what that means is we need to keep fire out of these ecosystems as they recover. So more than 90% of the snow gum woodlands have been burnt at least once in the last 20 years, often multiple times. So that's the first key recommendation. Assess the health of the community and then factor in things we need to do to exclude fire from these forests while they recover. So that means more remote area firefighters are paid for by the government. A remote area firefighting team of, of volunteers which other states with mountains um, have these the, these patterns to look into the notion of a publicly owned air fleet and this was a recommendation of the Royal Commission into the 2019-20 fires that's a job for the Federal Government but we think it would be great for the Victorian Government to lobby uh, the Federal Government to set up such a fleet and then to look at ensuring we have the resources to keep fire out of fire sensitive communities and in the mountains that means cool communities rainforest, peatlands, snow gum woodlands, and alpine ash forests.
3: Yeah, because I think a lot of the discussion around, um, around bushfires and especially the 2019-20 bushfire season really focused on sort of lowland areas rather than looking at uh, the impacts of climate change and, um, you know, these intense fires that have been, you know, impacted by global warming um, in these higher alpine regions where, you know, in, in the lower-lying areas, bushfires are expected, but they've been intensified by climate change, whereas in these areas, as you've mentioned, they are quite sensitive to, to fire.
8: Yes, they are. And most of Australia, the landscape is fire adapted. And in some instances, it's fire reliant. But, um, you know, there are people who talk about, will the need to do fuel reduction burning everywhere. It kind of misses the point that Australia is made up of thousands of discrete ecosystems and some of them don't cope with fire. And there's a whole lot of complex ecological reasons for that. But the snow gums are one of these communities. They just don't need fire that frequently. They can cope with fire. But every 50 to 70 years, they certainly, once they start coming every 12 years or every eight years, that starts to negatively impact on their structure and then over time on their actual survival. And I think lots of people still think climate change is something that will happen either somewhere else or later on. And I think it's really important to understand that what we're seeing here... With the very beginning, and I, I need to stress that it is the beginning, this isn't going to happen next week, it's the beginning of the ecological collapse of these communities this is climate change in real time you know this is happening now and once you start looking you can see it everywhere you know in mangroves in deserts in woodlands it's it's the phenomena that's happening worldwide and that's why you know apart from the practicalities of looking after these forests and keeping the fire out we need to use it to spur us to work harder to reduce global warming because this is really what this is all about.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's not about waiting until there are uh, rampant visible signs of of global warming and climate change and their effects in the Alps. It's about acting, you know, stopping it um, at the root and trying to to change things now. Um, And I was wondering how these recommendations that you've made relate to First Nations efforts to regain decision making power over land management in the area as well, because I, I know that the report touches on that, too.
8: Yes, well, that's kind of led us to a really um, interesting journey as well because there's four key First Nation groups that hold connection to that section of the mountains and this process has led us to engage with them to get a sense of what they want to see on their country. Um, Two of those groups have... Government-recognised connection, but two of those groups are also currently pursuing that. And um, we are informing ourselves at present about the aspirations of, of what those First Nation groups are in terms of having access to country,
3: but also looking after country yeah and that obviously was another um big sort of recommendation that or um i guess response coming out of the 2019 20 bushfire season thinking about um first nations land management practices and sovereignty as a, a key component of actually um holistically managing the effects of climate change and um you know land management in general um so Uh, I've got one uh, sort of related question and this was about uh, the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission because we mentioned this in our headlines today and we were just talking about the regulations which have widened the scope um, for the ACNC to investigate and deregister a charity and I was wondering um, how is Friends of the Earth dealing with this uh, considering all of the environmental activism that you do?
8: We're obviously deeply concerned about this one. We're a member of the Hands Off Our Charities Coalition, which is working uh, to see these regulations withdrawn from the government. We can only see them as a political attack on the charity sector. Um, We are listed as a charity, which means we have deductible gift recipient status. We are very highly regulated. You know, we report to the Federal Environment Department plus the Charities Commission plus the tax office. You know, we're, we're very highly regulated. We put a lot of time and effort into making sure we are compliant. And even the Charities Commissioner says there is no suggestion that there is a pattern of charities uh, being involved in unlawful behaviour. So these laws aren't needed. Even the Charities Commissioner admits it. This is about politics. This is about the federal government, which is trying to shut down advocacy-based organisations like
3: ourselves. Yeah, and us too, right? um, Exactly. Yeah, very... Very concerning, especially considering um you know the amount of agitation and political pressure that that needs to be put on governments to deal with issues like climate change um, to to sort of hamstring those efforts is um, is extremely concerning uh considering the amount of mobilization that we need to do
8: yes it really is yeah we're all facing whichever. Area we work in, whether it's social justice or human rights or refugee support or any form of advocacy, whether it's the environment, you know, we're, we've all got work to do. It is a desperate time in in the history of life on Earth in terms of human rights and environmental deterioration, and we need all hands on deck. So. For the government to be pursuing this regulation right now, uh, you know, is really disturbing. But we need to put it in context. The federal government have been trying to do this since at least 2015, so far without success. So for whatever reason, they're ideologically committed to pursuing this sort of regulation, which will limit the ability of groups, including environmental groups, to carry out advocacy. And that is really, really disappointing. And I think it's opposed by the majority of Australians.
3: Yeah, I mean, really important, and we encourage listeners to stay tuned here and keep updated about what you can do to support a pushback against uh, against this, these tightening restrictions. But um, just to wrap up, where can listeners find uh, the report that's been produced by Friends of the Earth and what can they do to support the fight to save the Victorian Alps?
8: Um, if you just do a web search for Frenzy Earth Melbourne, you'll find um, our local website and the report is there at the, at the top of the page. There is an alert we're asking people to send to the Victorian Environment and Climate Change Minister asking her to adopt the recommendations. It would be absolutely fantastic if people would sign that and send that in. Um, we are thinking that all the recommendations we are making around firefighting, they're all eminently doable. They're not particularly expensive, but they could really help to head off this crisis that we're facing so it would be really great if people could have a look at the report uh, have a bit of a read and then also fill out the action alert
3: absolutely well thank you so much cam really appreciate you taking the time
8: thanks for the time too and the opportunity
3: And so that was an interview with Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth Melbourne, who spoke with us about their new report released this week titled An Icon at Risk, Current and Emerging Threats to the Victorian High Country, which details the environmental risks to the Victorian Alps and what you can do and what the Victorian and also federal governments can do to uh, prevent these systems from collapsing.
0: So here you are. Every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan.
2: Earth
1: Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. They're 100% recycled cards plastic-free stationery and Earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! Subscribe to 3CR in
5: 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377.
3: You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CRA 55 AM. And we are now joined by Professor Sandy O'Sullivan, who's a Wiradjuri transgender non-binary researcher in Indigenous studies at Macquarie University, who's joining us to talk about some of the problems with the Australian uh, census in 2021 with respect to gender and sexuality. Hi, Sandy. How's it going? Hey, Hey,
9: hi. How are you going?
3: Well, thank you. And thank you for making the time. So... um, Yeah, I mean, you have been talking a lot about this issue, and you're obviously an expert in this area. Um, But to provide a little bit of background, in 2019, The Guardian reported that input from then Assistant Treasurer Michael Sucker, who notably opposed marriage equality during the Postal Service campaign, led to the scrapping of gender and sexuality questions from the 2021 census. And now that people are actually able to fill out the census, can you take us through what it does and doesn't ask about gender and sexuality? and how this is framed
9: yes yeah, so it asks no questions at all about sexuality um, from this census we're actually going to know nothing about queer people in this country it only uses sex it lists male, female and something described as non-binary sex which is not a term that's used by anyone nobody's too sure what it means um, So not only does it ask nothing about sexuality or gender at all, but it requires gender-diverse people to lie about their gender Um, so or to frame gender as sex. So the 2021 Canadian Census, by comparison, does ask this. So I understand that it, too, doesn't ask about sexuality. It allows a separation of sex and gender, so it allows people to do a write-in answer. Um, outside of the binary so uh, to be clear they don't mean gender non-binary when they say (laughs) non-binary sex but what we're actually suggesting is that people fill this in so where it says male female non-binary sex that people actually write in non-binary gender non-binary trans anything that they want to write in there that describes their gender Um, you can also do this um, with whatever other terms you're going to use. Transgender Victoria has provided a snapshot of what this looks like on
3: their website. Yeah, fantastic, because I think it is so confusing um, mm. trying to approach how to answer this. So it's great that that organisations like Transgender Victoria have put out explainers for how to answer what should be a relatively straightforward process. Um, So your research, and by extension a lot of your work as a public intellectual, grapples with these questions of gender invisibility and the issue of symbolic annihilation of uh, queer and trans people. So before we sort of go a bit deeper into some of the issues with the census, could you talk about some of the broader conceptual issues around erasing uh, LGBTQIA plus people from data gathering exercises in academia, government and so on?
9: Look, the census is our big data snapshot. You know, it's what we've got. It's the only time every five years that we can work out some basic information about who's in this nation state. Um, You know, by not getting this information, we'll have no idea about how many transgender, diverse or queer people there are in Australia. We also, you know, we can't accurately count the number of men and women because with the rest of us excluded or forced into one of those spaces, they're not even getting those those stats right. So we'll have no sense of where LGBTIQ plus people live, um, nor their ages or, you know, demographic information about them, how much trans people earn on average, what's the educational status of lesbians, you know, what are the health outcomes for gay men? Or I mean, I'm just listing off stuff, but, you know, what, what are the actual numbers of people living... Uh, in this country who are outside of the binary you know and also census shows us movement over time it shows us because it's every five years you know we it, it's great that we do it every five years some you know uh, countries like the u.s do every ten. but you know are queer people living in the bush going back to the bush um or you know for queer mob are they living on country uh or moving away from country and you can't tell that if you don't actually gather statistics you know and and it's, uh, you know, obviously this issue of, of feeling like you're not included. A lot of people are going to be filling in forms, uh, who are filling in, um, the information for their kids who, you know, might be trans non-binary and, and they're filling in forms and putting in what they know is inaccurate information. How's it going to feel for kids to see that they can't be who they are and they can't be counted and, Uh, You know, this whole idea of being counted is kind of what the ABS has has talked about um, with the census. And uh, we're literally being excluded in that way.
3: Yeah. And I think like there's even sort of a lack of. Uh, broad understanding about why it's important to, to count, uh, you know, queer and trans people. You know, there was the, uh, I think it was the ABC survey. Um, was it Australia Speaks? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's where great. there were just, you know, so many issues around collecting particular kinds of information, but not presenting it and then not collecting other kinds of information. I know you commented on that. If you wanted to, um, add anything there.
9: Yeah, look, you know, one of the problems with that particular data set is that they had very low numbers of people responding, apparently, um, who were um, outside of the binary genders, and that was one of the things that they talked about. But, you know, one of the difficulties is when they had lower numbers in other uh, groups, they actually went and did um, specific work with those groups to try and up their numbers, and it doesn't seem as though they did that with um, with. With queer folk and that's a problem you know it's a problem because they asked questions about queerness they asked questions about uh you know about trans people and actually then didn't include um, non-binary people in any of the findings you know so even low numbers are something uh, but yeah it's it's incredibly frustrating to have these other big data forms not doing it either. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Sandy, it's um, Rosie here. I was just, you know, also thinking about when you're describing um, the questions that are on the census around, like, this idea of non-binary sex, which is a term that doesn't mean anything, or um, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of, uh, I don't know, it's very, yeah, very troubling to hear that, yeah, I mean, unsurprising, but troubling to hear that the state is so unable to even, like, have the um, knowledge or interest to, to actually understand the difference between sexuality, sex and gender um, and to be able to produce, you know, a data-collecting tool that is able to understand actually people's experience and people's
9: lives. It's, it's actually a pretty simple thing to do, too. Mm. If you look at the Canadian one, which, again, is pretty limited as well, but it, but it clearly has two very brief Sets of questions, one about sex assigned at birth and the other about gender. Um, and they're right next to one another. They're a flow on. People can see them both as a snapshot when they fill them in. And, you know, they can answer it and you get more information. And, and what, they, what the ABS is doing for, for us and for anybody who does <laughs> any kind of research is that they're providing junk data that you can't use. Mm. I mean, uh, not accurate, and they have clearly stated that they know that gender diverse people cannot answer this accurately. They know that we have to lie in filling this in, which is terrible. You know what a what a thing to admit to, and uh, you know, and I, obviously this has been political. You know, there have been a, there's been a lot of work done by the ABS to make a case for this, and the minister has decided not to accept that. Um, you know, and it, uh, it's incredibly frustrating beyond the you know the the gender binary question which is a big question this idea of not getting broader statistics in terms of sexuality is really it's just a missed opportunity it's a shame and it's you you know it feels a combination of of lazy and uh something that will mean that all of us have to do a lot more work um Mm -hmm. you know and and a lot more guesswork which is terrible
3: yeah, and speaking of, I guess, the, the flow-on implications of, um, of having to do this guesswork, of not actually having any of this information, um, could you speak to some of, I think you've already mentioned a couple of these, but some of the flow-on practical effects of just failing to include basic, well-structured questions about gender and sexuality in the census. Like, what, what can we expect to see coming from this, although we know that you know, no census uh, in Australia has, has done this yet, so maybe just explaining what's already going on.
9: Yeah, that's right. So it wouldn't, this isn't worse than previous, um, you know, census data. It's not going to provide something that, um, that's, that's worse, but this is an opportunity to improve it and to hone it. And we've done that in other areas where there are free text options uh, and, and so on. But, you know, we don't have that here. I mean, free text options would allow people to effectively do an opt out or opt in. Um, it would allow us to do that with the way that you know, that digital data can be managed now, there is the capacity to do that. But what happens is not only do people feel erased, they are erased. They're actual identities which are meant to be being captured here are erased and I mean that's a major problem you know a lot of the work I do is on challenging the colonial project of gender right to talk about um, gender diversity for First Nations peoples as an Aboriginal person this is really important to me um, to make sure that we we see that actually this didn't just happen you know this isn't a new thing Um, this is something that has been a part of our experience um, you know for as long as we've been around and you know that that needs to be tracked. But I rely, as a researcher, and so does everybody in the in the country, right? Rely on that data so that we can see um, exactly, you know, how many people we're talking about. I might be talking about 10 people. I might be talking about a million. Mm. You know, that's what big data can give us: the difference between 10 and a million. Um, and it can help us understand where support services need to be provided, we use it in that way already. You know, we use it as a as a measure of that. But also where outreach can be provided, because you might have two people only who are identifying as gender diverse within one area that's a very large area if we gathered the statistics that we wouldn't be able to do anything about it. So, you know, we wouldn't be able to provide outreach to, you know, to these communities or understand that flow. So, yeah, I mean, that's please use the feedback section at the end of the census. P- please keep the pressure up.
3: Oh, Sandy, I think we've okay. lost you. Oh, there you are.
9: We just yeah, lost you for a just, second. Uh, there you go. I was just saying feedback section at the end of census. Keep the pressure up. Equality Australia has a petition going and, you know, let the ABS know that this isn't good enough. It's not going to change anything for this one, but it'll change the next census.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is really important to raise issues about when it comes to the question of intersectionality. This is not capturing, um, you know, people's identities in a holistic way, which then allows people to access the services that they need to survive, and especially queer people of color and First Nations, queer people um, who are multiply marginalized and experience particular barriers to service delivery. Uh, This is just more of the same. So thank you for highlighting that.
9: Yeah, thank you. Yeah,
3: and thank you very much for your time. Thanks. And that was Professor Sandy O'Sullivan, who's a Wiradjuri transgender non-binary researcher in Indigenous Studies at Macquarie University, and they took us through some of the problems with the 2021 Australian Census with respect to gender and sexuality. And just a reminder, there is an Equality Australia petition uh, that you can sign to raise some of these issues, and Transgender Victoria also has a resource for trans and non-binary people that are uh, attempting to fill out the census but are confused by the non-binary sex question when it comes to asking you about your sex so you can head to their website as well and as sandy said please leave feedback on the census this doesn't affect their data collection um, but it is really important to provide that information to them in the feedback section um, about these about these issues um, yeah
0: yeah I think it's just so um important as well what Sandy was talking about in terms of that this is actually a political issue in like this is being lobbied for or framed in this particular way because that's the way that you know certain people want it to be framed so it's also important to push back against it and to say like this isn't um complete this isn't objective data you can't say that this is objective because it's actually being framed by um particular like desire to erase certain people's experience.
3: Yeah, everybody should uh, read Maggie Walter on this, and about statistics not being neutral, and particularly the framing of First Nations people in statistics, but that is a, a complete aside. Anyway, you're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it has just gone 2 past 8 in the morning.
2: A proud black man proud black man you should not wonder Strong spirit
1: First Nations issues Families, people, and stories from a First Nations perspective. Mondays at 1pm on 3CR. Proud black man. Pray a black man, you should not wonder. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International
5: Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find nibs in the
1: basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming
3: events at nibs.org.au. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Come at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services
2: will be cut, jobs may well
9: be lost,
3: and workers' entitlements will
2: be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else.
8: Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal.
2: You're listening to Women on the Line.
8: Welcome again to Lost in Science.
2: And welcome to another
1: edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to to Women.
8: Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play.
2: Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voice is
0: broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast and up next we're speaking to Marie Clark, a Yoda Yoda Wamba Wamba Muddy Muddy Boon Wurrung woman and she is a well respected figure of South, uh, South Eastern Australian Aboriginal community for her work supporting Aboriginal artists and for her own successful career as a visual artist in the mainstream art scene. In her practice, she works to revive elements of Aboriginal culture that were lost in the period of colonisation and uses art as a tool to heal. And Marie is joining us today to discuss the exhibition Wrapped in Culture, which is opening tomorrow, Friday the 6th of August, at Footscray Community Arts Centre. Welcome, Marie. Thanks for joining us.
6: Hi, Rosie. Thank you. Um,
0: I might just, before we get going um, into the exhibition, could you just uh, introduce yourself for, for, for listeners and talk a little bit about the work that you do?
6: Um, so I'm Marie Clark, I'm connected to all those traditional lands that you just mentioned and um, I do a lot of research in museum collections and try and work out um, different ways of how these objects and items were put together, Mm -hmm. learn that skill myself and then pass that knowledge on to the next generation.
0: Amazing. So this exhibition, Wrapped in Culture, which is um, yeah, happening at Footscray Community Arts Centre, um, is a collaboration between First Nations people of so-called Canada and Australia. And I was just wondering if you could tell us about how this collaboration came about and also like what it's generated to work um, with First Nations people across the globe.
6: Right. So um, a few years ago, Rosalie Fable, um, an artist from First Nation artist from Ottawa came to Australia. She was doing an artist residency and at that time Len Tragonning and I were um, making a possum skin cloak for the Wyndham City Council this um Aboriginal community and the wider community and she came along to the workshop and just absolutely loved the, the energy that was created in that space mm. and wanted Len and I to travelled to Ottawa to create that sort of same look and feel and work with First Nation artists on a buffalo skin robe. And so she got some fantastic funding. So Len had then sort of passed away, and my nephew Mitch Marnie, or my great-nephew Mitch Marnie, um, came along, and his mum, um, Kerry Clark, she sort of ended up coming along and which is dad and sister, so it became sort of this whole family affair and and Vicky West from Tasmania, another incredible artist. And um we showed them our possum skin cloak making um process and it was the first time that they had actually worked on a buffalo skin robe. And because they also tell stories that more of the different wars and things that and conflicts that they were in um, and then yeah we we collaboratively designed the buffalo skin robe and the possum skin cloak.
0: Wow that yeah that's so beautiful like especially the kind of convergence of those um, the, the possum skin cloak and the buffalo skin robe and like sharing that knowledge you're talking about the way that you go into museum collections and kind of um, learning and then passing on these skills. It's, like, really beautiful that you're able to do that um, with other First Nations people as well.
2: Um, yeah,
6: no, it was incredible. And, and you know, from that experience, they took us around to lots of different universities where um, there were a lot of First Nations students and the students got to um, make these little medicine bags that were then hung on both the possum skin and the buffalo skin robe.
0: Mm, wow, um, from what I understand about the exhibition that's opening um, tomorrow, you will actually be working yeah. on a number of possum skin cloaks um, during the show. So could you tell us a bit about what will be happening in the gallery and why it's like important that this process is kind of continuing while the show goes on?
6: Well, I think it's a perfect opportunity for community to come together, both um, you know local Aboriginal mob and the wider community to come into that space to experience what it's like creating these incredibly important cultural items um, and we'll have the buffalo skin robe and the possum skin cloak hanging in the space and um, and it'll be my nephew Mitch Marney and yaron bundle who will be leading those possum skin cloak making workshops and, you know, it's great that it's that next generation down that will be leading the workshops because Vicky Cousins and I, um, Lee Derek and Trina Ham, all did that first sort of revival of cloaks back in 2005, 2006 for the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. Well, it's fantastic, yeah, that this next generation sort of leading, leading the workshops.
0: Mm, I did notice, yeah, on the um, in the artist bios when I was reading about all the artists in the show, a lot of um, the young Aboriginal artists in the show are, are, yeah, your relatives. And I was just wondering if you wanted to talk more about the importance of um, those connections and like supporting younger people to kind of connect with these um, practices as well.
6: Yeah, well, I I think that's what you know, a lot of our practices are about um, is passing on that cultural knowledge and creative art practice because it's these younger generations that are going to be looking after all of these cultural materials, you know, in future generations. So it's great to be able to hand that over. And, you know, both of these kids, um, Mitch and Yaron, have been working, you know, with family for a number of years. So to then have them lead is, you know, just incredible to see.
2: mm yeah
0: it's really yeah. really special and the the yeah. two clerks that are going to be hanging in the exhibition so i'm assuming they're the ones that you made while in um so-called canada in ottawa doing yeah. those workshops could you describe uh for listeners um kind of a a, a descriptive preview of what those clerks look like mm-hmm. and maybe some of the designs that are on them as well
6: um so the buffalo skin robe, we decided to do maps of country. So everybody who was part of the project um, identified their country and that's sort of almost like a topographical map with our totem sort of in the centre of that and using, I think we used leather dye on those um, and there's sort of this, um, the, around the border of the, the cloak or the robe, the buffalo skin robe, uh, kangaroo, paw, plants and other little sort of flowers that connect the two, the cloak and the robe. And then on the possum skin cloak, everybody got to design an individual panel on the on the possum skin cloak. Mm. So, yeah, again everybody telling stories of where they're from or um, my panel sort of was honouring Len because he wasn't, you know, able to, to come. He'd passed mm-hmm. and he was a big part of that project. So um, I did his gun eye shield diamond designs and my niece had done the beautiful little blue ring to represent Len. Yeah, they're, they're quite beautiful.
0: Mm, they are. I've, I've obviously only seen them in, um, you know, an online photograph, but I look forward to seeing seeing those objects and seeing those designs in real life. I was wondering um, if you wouldn't mind. Now you've also got a really amazing survey exhibition on called Ancestral Memories that's happening at the NGV at Fed Square, um, mm. which is, you know, a huge achievement. I was actually reading on the website that you're the first. Uh, living Bunrung or Wurundjeri person to have an ex- a solo exhibition, um, at the NGV, which is both an amazing achievement on your behalf and also quite shameful on the behalf of the gallery. Um, but I was wondering if you could just maybe talk about, I don't know if you wanted to talk about one work in that, that show. Um, and I mean, there's so many beautiful works, but maybe even how it can- some of them connect to the Rapting Culture exhibition as well.
6: Well, I think the whole exhibition sort of, you know, it speaks about revival of cultural practice and and identifies that, you know, we've been making, creating and designing for over 60,000 years and this is a continuation of that. And um, some of the work in the show is also... I've also had my family involved in the making and creating of those objects. Um, the 500 sticks that you'll see in there, my nephew, Mitch Marnie, had travelled up to um, Muldura up bush and collected me 500 sticks um, for the exhibition so that was pretty incredible mm, wow. um, and then also to see ritual and ceremony the 84 photographs of Aboriginal people all from Victoria although um, they were living and working in Victoria at the time when I made the work is around the morning practices but to see this exhibition like a spine throughout the the show is just just incredible. And then the early documentary series of photographs that I took in the early 90s of, you know, families or um, documenting different events. And, you know, then there's the kangaroo tooth necklaces and having the kids involved, like my nieces and nephews involved, in revising that practice and teaching them. So when I walk in, it's just full of memories and all sorts of things pretty amazing yeah
2: beautiful
0: and the beautiful um i've seen photographs as well i haven't got to see the show yet but i look forward to it but the glass um eel traps as well the kind of long oh
6: yeah say it yeah i love them do you want to talk <laughs>
0: a bit about do you want to briefly talk a little bit about those eel traps and then we can wrap um, up
6: um so the eel traps came about through melbourne university um I was the first person to exhibit at the old quad at Melbourne University after they refurbished resurfaced it mm. and commissioned me to make a, a an artwork. And I decided on an eel trap because next to the old quad was a lake that was full of eels and fish. And after draining the lake, building the building, the eels still come back to that spot today. So I decided on a glass eel trap and flew to Canberra and worked with Canberra Glasswork to make that. And... Um, Yeah, it's just the most beautiful thing to look at and they made me a second eel trap for an exhibition Mitch and I were in at Canberra Glassworks a couple of years ago and um, yeah, they're both there hanging together which is the first time I've seen them sort of together like that and they look quite incredible.
0: Wow, wow. Um, Yeah, so listeners... there's there's two exhibitions that you need to go see. First, there's Ancestral Memories at the NGV at Fed Square, which is Marie Clark's solo exhibition. And then tomorrow night, Wrapped in Culture is opening. Um, Marie, could you just tell listeners about the opening and also, um, yeah, if there's anywhere else um, that they can follow your work or the work of some of the other artists in the exhibition?
6: Um, So Wrapped in Culture is open to the public, um, tomorrow but the official opening will be Friday the 13th of August um, and yeah I, I guess check the website for for workshop dates and all that sort of stuff for the possum skin cloaks um, and then yeah sorry what was the other thing?
0: No I was just going to say if there's any, anything else you wanted to you know a shout out to anyone else or oh. um, any other work of yours that you wanted to promote that I've missed.
6: Oh, gosh, there's so many things going on. I I reckon contact Vivian Anderson Gallery. Okay. Um, She keeps my diary and keeps me on track of what I have to do and where I have to be in... when I have to have things made by. You're a busy person. (laughs) Basically, I'm just stuck at my little house in Yarraville 24-7 making. (laughs) Make, make, make.
0: All right. Well, yeah, so for listeners, tomorrow night between 6.30 and 8.30, I believe the opening of Wrapped in Culture is happening at Footscray Community Arts Centre, and I think they are asking for RSVPs because of COVID. So if you do want to go to that, yeah, I would head to the, to the, um, Footscray Community Arts Centre website and make sure that you RSVP. And there you could also find out about, um, yeah, some of these possum skin cloak workshops that sound really amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Marie, and talking about the exhibition.
6: No worries. Thanks, Rosie. All Thanks the, for inviting me.
0: My pleasure. And okay. Just then, that was Marie Clark, who was talking to us about the exhibition Wrapped in Culture that's opening tomorrow night at Footscray Community Arts Centre. And Marie Clark is a Yoda Yoda Wamba Wamba, Muti, Muti, and Boon woman who's a really well-respected artist, um, and communi- and she's done a lot of work in the community supporting other Aboriginal artists as well. Um, Her exhibition is on at the NGV and she is part of this exhibition Wrapped in Culture at Footscray Community Arts. You're on 3CR, Thursday Breakfast.
8: Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au.
3: You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. We're coming towards the end of the show, but we thought we would play you this new track by Telenova. This is Tranquilize. Hello You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it turns out we actually do have time for another track. So what you just heard was Tranquilize by Telenova, and now we're going to go to Stay in Bed by Alice Skye from her new album, I Feel Better, But I Don't Feel Good.
0: You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, and just then you heard Alice Skye's new song, Stay in Bed, from her recently released album, I Feel Better But I Don't Feel Good.
3: Yeah, it's um, an absolute, incre- absolute powerhouse of an album, and um, hopefully when shows are back, we'll be able to see Alice perform live. Would absolutely love that. Um, so, you know, as usual, massive show. Um, shall we go through what we had on today on 3CR Thursday breakfast? yes let's all right so first up um, <laughs> first up we had um we replayed an interview uh that viv meller from the 3 crs the black block uh did on Friday with Palawa artist Thelma Beaton about the power of art and sisterhood in an exhibition that's currently showing at the Cunahan Gallery in Brunswick. And it's called Banya Banya Norta, which means sister in the First Nations languages of Tongarong and Palawakani, respectively. And this respects, uh, sorry, represents the unique friendship between artist Thelma and Tongarong and Bunurong woman Stacey, both of whom are participants in the Torches Indigenous Arts in Prisons and Community Programme.
4: We then spoke with Cam Walker, Campaigns Director at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, who spoke with us about their new report released this week titled An Icon at Risk, Current and Emerging Threats to the Victorian High Country, which details environmental risks to the Victorian Alps, including the potential loss of snow gum forests. You can read the full report online at melbournefo.org.au. So that's melbournefo.org.au.
0: And then we spoke with Professor Sandy O'Sullivan, a Iradjuri transgender non-binary researcher in Indigenous Studies at Macquarie University. And they took us through some of the problems with the 2021 Australian Census with respect to gender and sexuality. And Sandy is a 2020 to 2024 ARC Future Fellow with a project titled Saving Lives, Mapping the Influence of Indigenous LGBTIQ Plus Creative Artists.
3: Yeah, Sandy is amazing and has done a lot of work to amplify the importance of actually doing accurate data data collecting uh, around this for things like service provision, which are so important, um, and has recommended providing feedback in the census uh, in the feedback box when you fill it out. And Transgender Victoria has also put out a resource for how trans and gender diverse people can actually respond to that census question. And there's also an Equality Australia petition raising concerns about the lack of data collection around uh, gender and sexually diverse. People in Australia. And finally, um, yeah, Marie Clark. Oh, should I? Go for it, Priya. All right. Um, So Marie Clark, a Yorta Yorta, Wamba Wamba, Muddy Muddy, and Boon woman, uh, and well-respected figure of the Southeast Australian Aboriginal community for both her work supporting Aboriginal artists and her own successful career as a visual artist in the mainstream art scene, joined us to discuss the exhibition Wrapped in Culture, which opens tomorrow, Friday the 6th of August, at Footscray Community Arts Centre. And in Marie's practice, she works to revive elements of Aboriginal culture that were lost in the period of colonization and uses art as a tool to heal. That's all we've got time for today on Thursday Breakfast, and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced
0: in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.